Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, how are you doing? I'm good, Phil. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Uh, it's been a long week, both in the football <laughs> world and out, out of it. I feel like we say this every every time we get on here, but I mean it's always true. So yeah, I got my my white claw mango here, just trying to cope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know at least one listener who, between uh, locomotive partnering with Adidas and you drinking a white claw on the pod, is just like in seventh heaven right now. <laughs> you know, I heard this like wild thing about white claw. I don't know if it's true. I need to like look this up, but. It wouldn't surprise me. Apparently, a lot of these, I mean, obviously, hard seltzer has like exploded in popularity recently because of White Claw. So now every yeah. like brewery is doing it. But apparently, the the manufacturing process is like indistinguishable from making beer. But there's some kind of tax benefit <laughs> to making seltzer what? over beer. <laughs> so that might be bullshit. But I, I heard it from like a reputable like podcast about like food and stuff. So that's wild. Yeah, I have to like look into this, but I just thought that was funny. <laughs> That's madness. Yeah. <laughs> white claw. We started making white claws a tax write off and took over the goddamn world. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, they're like, we didn't mean for any of this. We just, whatever. <laughs> Truly. As Truly. It, Truly. <laughs> I've never, I've, actually, I've never had Truly, but uh, uh, yeah, there's so many now. But I just yeah the claw. Yeah, there's, I see a billboard for a new hard seltzer literally like every other day. Yeah, it's getting ridiculous. There's like <laughs> Vizzy, which they're like, oh, it has antioxidants. <laughs> oh my God, but it also has alcohol, which is basically yeah. poison. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's like, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> You're not oh. fooling anybody with this health drink slash hard seltzer. Except it'll probably fool a lot of people, unfortunately. Uh, that's For just... sure. Like, you could, I could see someone sipping that in a spin class or something. <laughs> just shit-faced on a, on a stationary bike. <laughs> to With LMFAO just oh bumping God. in the dark. Uh, anyways. <laughs> uh yeah, so uh, I guess we should get some some admin out of the way. Uh, this is, you know, timing-wise on Hardcore Football, we often record, like, towards the, f- the beginning of the week because mm-hmm. we talk about the weekend. We kind of swerved that this week. We're at the end of the week talking with all of our midweek European games that, that happened, but we also open things up to you guys, the listeners, to send us questions, and you delivered in, in droves. Um, so appreciate everybody who sent in questions and I think we should be able to get to all of them. Um, and, uh, we've got them sprinkled throughout, but, uh, but yeah. So if you are finding us for the first time and you're wondering how would I even send you questions? Well, we're at hardcore, we're at HXC football on Twitter. Um, you can find us there and we normally ask for questions before pretty much every episode and uh, we talk about them on the podcast so you can help kind of steer the discussion and uh, and as well uh, if you are finding us for the first time check us out uh, on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe follow whatever the the platform allows and uh, you can get new episodes straight to your device and and 
get them right when uh, right when they drop. Um, so yeah, hopefully you guys continue to tune in and uh, looking forward to a solid episode. And we start off with a question that came into the DMs, and the question was, "Can you tell us?" how Phil became a Dinamo Dresden fan and Mika a Betis and Munchen Gladbach fan. Liverpool and Arsenal are self-explanatory, but Mika, can you explain uh, your kind of like ancillary fandoms uh, in, in <laughs> European soccer? I like that ancillary fandoms. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I'll start with, I'll start with Gladbach. Cause I think uh, that is the team that other than Arsenal, I follow the most um and and the longest other than arsenal um i i just i love that munchengladbach is is a smaller city in western germany it's not one of these giant metropolises like a frankfurt like a cologne um or a munich you know uh think i mean forgive the the nfl reference but think like the green bay packers right like mm-hmm. iconic club but you know not a giant city green bay um so uh that appealed to me i have my very best friend, he lived uh, just over the border in the Netherlands. So when I was looking for a club like in Germany to follow, I'm like, oh, this one's the closest. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and we actually drove through Gladbach a couple of times when I was over there. I never got to see a game, but um, hopefully one day. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of it. And then just another like silly thing, really, too, that kind of stood out to me about Gladbach is um, I'm a big Boston Bruins fan. Like the the badge stood out to me with the big B. Yeah, like, that's, so, <laughs> that's so relatable. Here we go. It just felt right. So yeah, yeah. Gladbach is that's that's kind of how I came to to support them. Um, with Real Betis, I don't know that I would consider myself a fan or like a sympathizer. Like I have a soft yeah. spot for them. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I certainly follow them. I admire them. I think the the green kits certainly catch my eye. It's my favorite color, but I guess really my interest started with um, reading the book, uh, The Frying Pan of Spain by Colin Miller, which is mm-hmm. all about, it goes in depth about the uh, Sevilla Derby, the Sevilla Derby um, between Sevilla and, and Real Betis, of course. And I just thought that their history was fascinating. Um, and, you know, they've, they've been very successful and have a huge stadium, a huge support. Yeah, uh, and you know they've spent time in Sevilla and and have gone through a lot of ups and downs as a club. So, um, yeah, I mean I'm not as diehard about them, I guess, as Arsenal or Gladbach, but I certainly do follow them. And um, yeah, they're just they're a fun team, and I do pay attention to the results. But um, yeah, what about Dinamo Dresden? I am interested to hear this myself. Yeah, uh, so Dinamo came out of a uh, similar similar to you looking for Gladbach. It was like. I had, uh, well, I have some family history in, in Germany and I had wanted to get into, into German football more and, and follow a team a little more closely. And my sister had actually like, cause, uh, me and my sister both watch, uh, watched, I mean, essentially connected with the, the German national team in the 2006 world cup. Um, Right. And so watching that team, my sister became a Bayern fan due to, you know, the likes of Philip Lahm and, and, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger, uh, well the entire German national team. So I wanted to get into it, but I didn't want, I, you know, being the hipster that I am, um, I, I shied away from, from following a club as massive as Bayern, um, 
And so it took a little while, but I started to gravitate towards like, okay, where's my family from in Germany? And like, where's the connection there? And although most of my family's history is actually like in like the Northern parts of Germany, um, a branch of my family is from the East. Like, and so they were actually in Dresden, like at the time of like World War II and everything, like the fire bombings and, and all of that. And yeah, so I really started to kind of dive into the history of Dresden, the city, and and then the club itself is, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that naturally followed. Um, Dinamo Dresden's a fascinating history. I could probably talk about it for an entire episode, but suffice it to say, it's a club that was born out of like the state, police uh in east germany uh in but post-war it became like one of the most successful clubs in east germany and really like rose to prominence it they went to europe uh you know they were playing uh in you know what was then the european cup um eight times champions of the of the the ddr oberliga the the east german like top (laughs) division um and uh yeah, just a just a crazy history. And then as after reunification, the divide between East and West was like so massive in terms of financial resources that Dresden were put into the Bundesliga as like a show of good faith um, from what the West German teams. And they were absolutely like completely out of their depth. Um, they were just getting completely trashed by by these clubs that were that were so massive. And when the Berlin wall came down and the iron curtain fell and all of these things, a ton of East German players were poached by West German clubs. Um, so a lot of, a lot of uh, like the disparity existed anyways, since then uh, Dresden's really struggled to, to kind of maintain any sort of, you know, uh, prominence in the, in the German pyramid and, uh, so the ups and downs of, of a club that's really struggled for kind of like, uh, to just survive at certain levels, um, has been really fascinating to follow. Um, but in recent seasons, it's been kind of positive despite the fact that they got relegated last year. Um, they're debt free now as a club, um, and self-sufficient. So they, I, I don't know how COVID's impacted that quite honestly. It's, it's probably hurt that a little bit, but they had announced like the clearing of the club's debts and all these things. So they made it, you know, sustainable. Um, I'm hoping for, you know, in the near future fans to return, but watching, watching that team with the family connection to the city and, and with, um, kind of the, all the history behind it, just really fascinating, and uh, adds just an element, you know, when you're watching the games um, and and seeing the the rabid fan support of, you know, a, a 30,000 seat stadium packed for a third division game. It's just really, really crazy. Um, and and yeah. something that I think a lot of clubs would aspire to to have like that level of support, despite, you know, struggles at certain levels. So, yeah, for sure. That is a way better reason to support a team than what I gave for Gladbach. To be fair, I mean, if I if I were to support a club that made more sense, it probably would be Eintracht Frankfurt because I mm. lived for many years outside of Frankfurt when I was younger. Right. But 
I don't know. Um, I, I can relate to that, though, because I, I support Palermo for, in the you know, Italian third division now for, right. like, you know, having family ties to, to Sicily on my dad's side. And, um, yeah, they I mean, they were they were steady on mainstays for a while, and then everything yeah. just went tits up, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so the I Palermo miss. that exists now is actually a Phoenix club. Right. Um, Right. And, uh, yeah, the club of Cavani and Dybala and all that and Bellotti is long gone, but maybe one day we'll be back in the top flight. Unbelievable talent <laughs> that came through. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's a little bit of the story. Um, I the one thing about Betis, uh, like that, I I didn't get to touch on is I wondered for a long time about uh, their full name. Ballampi mm. Ballampie or Ballampie, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 which is the actual Spanish for football. Yeah, like yeah, exactly, like ball foot. Ballon yeah, pie. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, exactly. yeah, I and they see themselves as like the real Spanish club in in Sevilla since uh, Sevilla was founded by Englishmen. Yeah, that's right, and uh, yeah, I mean they were. Oh God, I think Real Betis was founded first. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I haven't read the book in a while, <laughs> but um, I mean, obviously having the Real in their name, they were, you know, they had the that clout, I guess, from yeah. the monarchy. And then, <laughs> but, you know, still staying true kind of to the history of the, the city. I mean, Betis is the Roman name for the Guadalquivir River, which goes through the city. And so right. it's a fascinating story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Sevilla and, and Real Betis. If you haven't read the book, I can... I'll lend it to you, Phil. And those of you listening, like you got to read it. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> oh, man. Well, before we dive into uh, all of the European fixtures that took place this week, and now that we're now that we're on to it, uh, I, I think maybe we should take a quick break. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Mika, Champions League th- this week. Uh, we had uh, just a handful of games, the four four matchups in this round of 16 first leg as we kind of rounded out um, the whole set. Uh, the match that I think we may have been most interested in just due to how we are in the teams that we talk about most frequently on the podcast. There were really, there were really, I mean, a handful, um, but the way that it played out, Atalanta in a narrow loss to Real Madrid and uh, maybe a bit unlucky in that they had a player sent off quite early. Yeah. Yeah. And the first ever meeting between the clubs, it was already historic without them even stepping on the pitch yet. So Always was going to be a fascinating one, but I did not think it would be for the for the reason that it was. <laughs> As you said, Remo Freuler gets a red card really early. Um, 
I guess, and the referee was adamant about giving the card. Uh, he, you know, barges into Felon Mendy as Felon is bearing down on goal, allegedly, I guess, depending on how, how, how you feel about it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, they judged it to be, a, you know, Freuler impeding a clear goal-scoring opportunity. I think it's very harsh. Yeah. I think it's a foul, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mendy's taking the ball away from goals. So I don't know how that could be a clear goal scoring opportunity and there's another defender kind of in line with the two of them. So I did think it was a foul, but a red card, I think that's the, for me, it's a bit much. Um, and yeah. I, and obviously it changed the whole game. I mean, Real Madrid were able to just kind of keep the ball circulating in, in Atalanta's, you know, defensive half for pretty much the whole game after <laughs> that. So I don't know what, what was your take on the red card? I, I thought it was, I thought it was harsh and I think it, I think it leads to more discussion around like how strict is this denial of a goal scoring opportunity law because, and I think it comes back to a match, two matches involving our English clubs. Um, Mm. David Luiz's now infamous red card um, against wolves and Trent Alexander-Arnold not being sent off against Everton. um, I think those incidents are now pointed to as kind of the, the mark of inconsistency. Those are obviously not in the champions league and, and not, you know, they, that context has to be taken into account. Um, However, the rules are supposed to be applied exactly the same worldwide. That's the whole point of of the laws of the game being governed at a FIFA level um, or IFAB and, you know, all these organizations. But the bottom line is there's not only not consistency at the international level, there's not really consistency within each national federation. So, um I couldn't even say whether it's really harsh or not because I thought the David Luiz sending off was ridiculous. I also thought it was, I also thought that like it's, you know, I didn't think that that Trent would have been sent off for the nature of the contact, like the way that it happened. But many people suggested that he should have been sent off because it's a foul in an area where Calvert Lewin would have easily scored. So now, you know, is is Fairline Mendy, he's moving away from goal, but maybe there's not a covering defender. And like, so there's just very, there's, there's so much nuance to these uh, types of decisions that I think ultimately, um, I don't know that anyone knows what is harsh and what isn't like, I don't know, yeah. you know, what is a red card anymore? Um, I, I feel like I don't even really fully grasp. So, I mean, I thought it was extremely harsh, but I also feel like I don't understand many refereeing decisions now. Yeah, I can certainly agree with that. I don't know anymore what's what. And it's funny because, <laughs> you know, as we've added technology into the game, I feel that we're going on feeling even more <laughs> in certain right. instances. And certainly as fans, when we're trying to make sense of it, it's like, well, I felt that that was harsh, you know? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it was harsh, but at the end of the day, I think I do want to call out for Lemendi. I thought he played really well. Yeah. Um, he made some really nice, like, underlapping runs that, that were threatening. Of course, he ends up scoring the winner on his weak foot, kind of curling it with his right, which was a good goal, but 
I think Galini should probably do a little bit better there. The shot was slow. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like it took forever to, to, to get in the net. And so I don't know if Galini should have had better footwork there or what. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Real Madrid get it done. And um, I do want to say, though, what made me very happy um, was to see Casemiro get a yellow card. Because I think that means he's <laughs> out of the return leg. Um, and he's one of those players that just gets away with murder. So yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see him be punished a little bit if I'm being petty and I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, a master of the dark arts, uh, I think. For and, sure. um, so this sparked or this, this kind of aligns with one of the questions we got, uh, from, from Jamie Ventura, uh, asking whose situation is worse currently Madrid or Barcelona. And this is Jamie's editorializing hint Manos K un club. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the context of this obviously being Madrid, uh, taking a one nil lead into their second leg match against Atalanta, Barca, on the other hand, you know, dished out uh, or were dished a beating at the hands of, of PSG. Um, so what do you make of, uh, uh, of their situations? Yeah, I think, I think it's a good question. I mean, I, first of all, let me say, I think Barcelona for sure. I think their, their situation is uh, significantly worse actually. And I don't, I don't think Real Madrid are necessarily in a good place either, but Right. Um, with Barcelona, when you have, in my opinion, the greatest footballer to ever touch a football, saying he wants to leave because of how incompetent your club is, then that, I mean, automatically you're being run the worst in world football for me. Not yeah. to mention continual annual embarrassments in the Champions League, you know, um, Roma, Liverpool, PSG. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, Messi should have more champions league titles than he does honestly um so yeah i think and then you know institutionally barcelona is also a mess i mean the, the presidential elections are coming up soon uh so maybe the tide will turn with that but they've been financially mismanaged uh big time uh everyone knows yeah. that their debts are are huge you know eclipsing a billion dollars many of which are short-term debts that are going to be coming due and um, although I will say, I do think they are, you know, hashtag too big to fail because they are <laughs> such a huge draw for tourism and a huge moneymaker for the Spanish government. I don't think they'd ever let them actually fail, but that's that's another thing entirely. But yeah, Barcelona, um, definitely worse. I think Real Madrid, you know, Florentino Perez has overseen so many cycles at Madrid right. in terms of success and the, the playing squad. And so... And he always seems to have a a grasp on the PR, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that that Barcelona don't seem to have. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think Manos Game Club for sure. I think they are the ones <laughs> kind of more so in the mud. But and I think it actually is overshadowing a lot of problems at Real Madrid because they are there. Yeah, I think I think Madrid needs a big refresh for sure um to to get back to the heights that they that they are used to occupying but the thing is is that they they will still find ways to do this sort of thing like they're not going to go get pumped by Atalanta in the round of 16 like they're going to they're going to find a way 
with this squad of players to get through, I think. Um, Although the streets will never forget Shakhtar. True, true, true. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a that's a good point. And uh yeah, maybe Madrid lucky that Shakhtar are down in in the Europa at the moment. Um that's <laughs> I like eat my my mic, sorry. <laughs> um so uh yeah, interesting times for both big span, you know, the Spanish giants at the moment. But I think the way uh, things are going for the other Madrid club, Atleti uh, lose one nil to Chelsea, and Olivier Giroud, um, the timeless wonder, scoring a ridiculous overhead kick to give Chelsea a, a lead going into the second leg. Yeah, um, you know, in this team of various attacking young talent they they rely on the vastly experienced frenchman the world cup winner to to get them the result and uh, every time he scores there's this narrative like oh is he overrated is he underrated it's like let's just appreciate his roof what he is which is an excellent goal scorer and a real team player so yeah um atleti were bad though <laughs> i'm i'm starting were, to worry i'm starting to worry like are you I'm starting to worry a little bit about Atleti and I know they've suffered a little bit, some injuries, some, some COVID absences. And I think yeah. I, you know, I don't think it should be overlooked, um, but their form has been pretty poor. Like I, mm. all things considered, it hasn't been great. Um, they lost to Levante in the league. They lose to Chelsea. Now they drew Levante before that their last win was against Granada. And even before that they drew Celta Vigo. So they they've not been on a great run mm-hmm. um, compared to what they were doing. And now taking a deficit to London um, in the champions league, not, not a great, not a great uh, situation for, for, Simeone's side to be in um and on all fronts kind of giving ground a little bit yeah yeah that's you make a a lot of very solid points there I think I almost feel like Atleti might actually play better on the road (laughs) that's fair just because they're that kind of I mean it's not going to be at Stanford Bridge right we're still not doing that um oh I don't even know I think they can go to England right or I think it's just Germany that's stopping people from oh coming God, in at the even, moment. I can't even keep them anymore. Arsenal had like a home game in like Greece. I was like, what? Oh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't even, I don't know. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I still think Atleti can definitely pull this out. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, Chelsea are, like I said, still very young. Um, and, and Atleti do have a lot of experience. And I think Simeone has, Simeone himself has a lot of experience in these situations where, you know, you're getting into the business business end of these these tournaments. Um, but yeah, they've been very poor uh, recently. And they come up against Villarreal, if I'm not mistaken, in La Liga, who are like sixth and, and you know, doing quite well and have made it into the knockouts in, in Europa League themselves. So Bayern handed Lazio a heavy 4-1 loss um, in, in Italy or, yeah, yeah, in in the Stadio Olimpico, um, not the stats don't necessarily tell as rosy of of a story as the four one scoreline would suggest. But Bayern were very good in this game. 
Yeah, they were very good, but Lazio were... I, I don't really think that Bayern had to do too much Yeah. Um, to, to, to win this game and to win it comfortably. I mean, that's just the nature of Bayern Munich, I guess. You know, better players overall. And, and Lazio really... Did, I don't think they played the best that they could to their ability anyway. Um, I will say, though, with Bayern, the defense, I think, is still pretty suspect. Um, Manuel Neuer, I believe, leads the Champions League <laughs> in uh, saves made, which, yeah, uh, you know, that's not a good stat necessarily for a goalkeeper <laughs> to have. And at his age, he shouldn't be working that hard, um, you know. So, <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, in all seriousness, I, you know, of course, we've we've spoken already about how they've addressed that already with, with Upa Meccano coming in. But, um, you know, if there's any reason why Byron don't, repeat in the champions league it'll be because of that back line Bayern now unbeaten in 18 champions league games um straight so yeah pretty pretty unbelievable record uh for the german champions and uh another you know another team expected to to perform well in the competition came up against your boys borussia mönchengladbach and uh city a comfortable two nil win um, and another, another situation where it seemed like city didn't really have to get out of, out of gear to, to see this one out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, as someone who sports club, like, I don't think anyone was really expecting given how poor we've been in the league recently. I don't think anyone was expecting us to suddenly explode for, <laughs> several goals against, you know, arguably the best side in Europe on form right now. Um, yeah, it was pretty routine for City. I think, you know, actually Gladbach did have a decent amount of the ball when, as far as, you know, putting this in context with City, you know, if you only give them 60%, that's pretty good. Um, but <laughs> we just could never make the right decision <laughs> with the ball. We looked nervous and, like, mm-hmm. you know, just felt like we... Uh, it's almost like a you get the ball and you immediately immediately lose it because you don't know what to, you want to do with it next and you're just nervous and I think that was certainly what happened with Gladbach um, in that first first match of the tie and I, I think Gladbach fans too are not maybe too bothered about this just because of all the fallout from Makahosa's announcement <laughs> yeah. just kind of like you know trying to get to the end of the season and, and see that he he leaves so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the the only hope for Gladbach in this tie is that if they just make the second game just absolutely crazy, um then there's potential for City. Yeah, you know, we've seen City get into these like shootouts. Um yeah. Monaco, Spurs, like all of these uh yeah, Lyon it all or Lyon, sorry, yeah. comes to mind like they they get into these crazy back and forths. So if if they can create some chaos in the second leg, uh, then then perhaps Gladbach have some chance of, of of going through. But City just looking really dominant at this point. Um, yeah. The the recent uh, Champions League performances from last week uh, sparked a question though from Couch Sports Adam. Uh, he said after seeing Mbappe and Holland rip it up last week in the UCL, which individual players' performance do you remember watching and just thinking, "Wow"? Am I going first? I I'd uh, love I'd love to hear it. 
Okay. All right. Uh, this might this might be sacrilegious to the people, the the USA fans listening to this. But <laughs> for me, um, a player that genuinely has made me say "Wow" while watching him or watching his highlights is is Jesus Corona from Porto. Mm. Uh, Tecatito, as he's known uh, in Mexico, and also obviously plays for the Mexico national team. Um, I mean, he's incredible. He's <laughs> he tries so many outrageous flicks and tricks and skills that that end up coming off and actually advancing the ball. Which, um, you know, the, you see players try things that don't actually advance the play, and it's kind of like, sure. hey, we're playing a competitive match here, not like FIFA Street. Um, but uh, with Tecatito, he's just outrageous and 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 produces too. Um, he's even been played at right back for Porto um, for, for some games, a good amount of games, and still has managed to show his, his kind of class going forward. And um, actually, it reminds me of a book that I'm reading right now called Soccernomics by uh, Simon Cooper and Stefan Shabansky. And there's a, uh, there's a chapter in this book that talks about how uh, a lot of European clubs overspend on players from the traditional, I guess, big footballing nations like mm-hmm. Brazil, Spain, Argentina, France, and the like. But really, um, a smart sporting director, I suppose, would would pick out talents from other nations. And I think that's something that probably applies to Corona because he's, you know, he plays for the Mexico national team. And not to say that Mexico is a small nation or anything, but I mean, they're not a Brazil right. or an Argentina. And I think that's why he's still at Porto. I think there might be some you know, bias perhaps that, mm-hmm. that scouts and, and sporting directors feel when they analyze him. Cause I think really he has the quality to be at a bit of club. I, uh, I was thinking about this through the lens. Uh, I, you know, I think, uh, or I was thinking of like one game, I guess like, oh, or okay. one or one match. That's just how I, how I thought about, uh, this. So the, game that came to mind uh was i and i think the champions league connected with me in this way um like thinking of holland and mbappe i think it just harkened back and holland maybe maybe a little on the nose because the the game that i think about is um Borussia dortmund versus real madrid in the quarterfinals in 2013 14 when or 13 2012-13 when mm-hmm. Dortmund went to the went to the final eventually and Robert Lewandowski yeah. scored four goals in the Westfalenstadion against against Real Madrid um oh my god yeah just uh like in terms of an individual performance it was just one of those moments where it felt like despite you know what obviously ended up happening with Lewandowski which he ended up becoming you know the best number nine on earth um I think that was the moment where everybody kind of started to realize just how special a player he was um because it wasn't just he wasn't just tearing up Germany he wasn't just you know finishing top scorer and winning the league and all that he was destroying one of you know the famous clubs of of Europe uh single-handedly and <laughs> the fourth goal in particular at the at at uh uh the Signal Iduna was um just one of those that just makes you like gasp not just for like the 
the weight of the occasion, which is Dortmund taking a, a large lead, you know, in a Champions League tie against Madrid. But the skill involved where he he has like this close control where he takes the ball down and it, it's awkward and he has to turn and get it out from under his feet. And he actually drags it backwards to then hit it. And he generates yeah. like such power that it's really shocking. Like it's a shocking goal um, <laughs> in, in all of the best ways. It's really, it was really just one of those moments where you just felt, I don't know, you feel like the whole weight of it. And it was such a, it was just such a seismic moment for that Dortmund team for the player in particular, like, you know, bought for three million pounds or whatever it was from, from uh, his team in Poland um, by, (laughs) by Jurgen Klopp. And, and then, you know, scoring on that stage um, in, in, against such a team as Real Madrid, it just like that performance always will stand out to me, especially given what has, you know, transpired for Lewandowski now um, and, and the player he's become. That's a great shout. And and to be fair, reading the question back, I think that is what he meant is like an individual player's performance, but yeah. you gotta forgive me. It's the end of the week and I can barely read. Anymore. <laughs> um, but no, that's an awesome shout. Lewandowski against Madrid. Another player, if I were to think of like a recent singular performance is actually Dusan Tadic against Real Madrid. Yes. 2019 with yes. Ajax, oh my God. Just like rouletting on fools. Like... Unbelievable. Now that was an insane performance. Definitely made yeah. me say, "Wow!" Of course, he's not like anywhere near the superstar status that Lewandowski is, but what a yeah run for that team and for that player. And like you have that moment too, where you're like, "He was at Southampton like two years ago." <laughs> right. <laughs> this man is like a known quantity. It's not like, "Oh, who is this?" You know, coming up through the Eredivisie, like yeah, 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 it's. Yeah. A, it's a player we've all known who just ripped up Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that does stick in my mind. Wow, that's amazing. That team, that IX team, was just chef's kiss. Yeah, and they got <laughs> torn apart for no reason. <laughs> Ziak not playing. Frankie De Jong like here and there. Freaking uh, delict. Delict. Yeah, they're all. They're all like. Yeah, it's it's a shame what happened. <laughs> They'll all come good, I think, but yeah, 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 for sure. Um so those performances like hugely entertaining, the goosebump type of stuff. Uh yeah. the Europa League though this week uh or these past 2 weeks now, I guess has provided just absolutely drunk entertainment for <laughs> For, for football fans uh, all over the world. It's been absolutely wild. Um, is it as fun when your club is actually involved? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you support Arsenal, no. Because we always have to fucking make it interesting. Yeah. And we, I really thought we were going to get knocked out yesterday when we went down by one, but two essentially on away goals and then you know had to rescue it but uh no i mean the europa league is great um you you know you see teams that you would never see otherwise 
uh, and there's always surprises. I mean, for me, like seeing Rangers just batter the shit out of Royal Antwerp is is amazing because not teams, <laughs> you know haven't fared well in Europe in recent seasons. Celtic mainly, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just been some wild ones. I mean, Molde dumping out Hoffenheim, who were in the Champions League not long ago under Nagelsmann. It's... So just scenes. <laughs> The yeah, some of these ties were just were just amazing. I mean, one of the ones that I think we had pointed to, you know, early on was Ajax Leal and mm-hmm. Ajax um, get the win over <laughs> over the team, you know, who's been leading Liga for for quite a while now. Um, yeah. And uh, it was actually a a David Neres uh, 88th minute goal that really sealed that that four two aggregate win. Um, but, but the dog, the dog's not really, not really in this one as much as you would have expected. Yeah, no, I think, I think in their defense, maybe they are prioritizing the league a little bit because they feel that there's a chance, um, given PSG's relative struggles, I guess you could say. So, um, meanwhile, Ajax are flying in the league. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think right now there's six points clear of PSV. So uh, you know, the momentum, I suppose is, this is only going to help them, um, in their, in their league, uh, league, uh, campaign to also go through on Europa. But, um, and on top of that, Ajax have incredible death as always. So, yeah. um, I'll forgive a little for this one. <laughs> <laughs> another, another interesting tie. And this one maybe maybe going against the grain Spanish teams in the Europa league thriving Spanish teams in the champions league in the mud. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Granada, despite a two, one loss in, in Naples, uh, actually go through, um, three, two on aggregate and, uh, and yeah, Napoli out of the Europa league at the, the first knockout stage, Granada hanging in there. Yeah. I mean, Granada have a really good side. I mean, they've got, um Kennedy who's been incredible for them. Yeah. Uh Darwin Machis, of course. Uh a player I really like and who I hope actually that uh, Arsenal look at for left back uh cover is Carlos Neva. Of course they got Jesus Vallejo of mm-hmm. Real Madrid extraction. So I mean it's a good squad. Um and, and, and they fight hard and they've taken some big results in La Liga too. So um yeah, Diego Martinez has this has this side playing really well and Batus on the other hand not so much. I mean it's been a rough one for Napoli. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they need to like sack Gattuso or anything, but they need to have a look at, at what's going on because, um, you know, other than that pretty fortuitous result to Juventus, they've been poor uh, in the league yeah. of late. So, um, and now they're dumped out of Europa League, so they got to go back to the drawing board. Napoli do. These these next few ties are just so good. Um, you mentioned Rangers Antwerp. I, I think as a tie, the first leg was obviously a little more in, in interesting than the second, but nine to five on aggregate, just like they, these teams get it. Like they know what the Europa league is about and they gave the fans what they want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that side of Glasgow has to be absolutely just buzzing, especially when you saw Neil Lennon step down at Celtic in the same <laughs> week. Um, literally ended that man's career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Stevie G, man. He's doing the damn thing. Yeah. Um, good to see Rangers advance. Um, we will move on, though, to Arsenal-Benfica. The second leg, um, I don't know if it was just an agreement between the clubs, but bangers only. There were a lot of really good goals. And, and I mean, not to be too harsh to Benfica, but the goals they scored were like, okay, like a, a free kick that like no one's fucking stopping. Yeah. And they capitalize <laughs> on, on a Danny Ceballos mistake. Yeah. So like in, they played well, but in a lot of ways we shot ourselves in the foot. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a bad position. But I mean, the brilliance of Kaiosaka once again on display is he, he and, and Ova rescue us and then we're able to go through, which I think really would have been a disaster if we didn't, to be honest, <laughs> because there's really nothing to play for in the Premier League and and it would behoove us to go as far as we can in, in the Europa League. I, I don't know that we win it necessarily, but um, yeah, it's just it's nice to be through. Molda uh, go through, as you said, against Hoffenheim. The crazy thing about this, aside from the fact um, that they've knocked off a German team and, you know, probably a massive golfing quality. They were not really in this game aside from they scored both of their shots on target. Um, <laughs> Hoffenheim had 27 shots. Um, Molda had three, but Molda trailed three nil in the first leg and hauled it all the way back. And then one in the, in the second leg. So this is like, this is a massive comeback and like for a Norwegian team to advance in into the, the round of 16 of the Europa league, this is a massive achievement for this club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the club that I, I believe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was managing before he um, came to Manchester United. So it's a huge, huge result for them. And um, I, I cannot lie to you. I know nothing about Norwegian football. I know, does one of the bigger sides along with like Bodo Glimt and, and sides like that. But uh, yeah, it's huge. Again, Hoffenheim were in the Champions League and they have a very rich owner who is, you know, doping the club up. So it's pretty shocking for them <laughs> to go out. I think they probably should have done a bit better, but uh, fair play to them. The German ultras were will have a field day with Hoffenheim going out. Um, yeah. They absolutely hate Hoffenheim's owner uh, all over Germany. So um, Villarreal uh, knocked off uh, kind of a darling, uh, you know, a hipster darling RB Salzburg. Um, the the Spanish side going through 4-1 on aggregate and Salzburg not really at the races in this tie. Um, and Villarreal just kind of taking care of business. Well, I mean, we have to say Villarreal is coached by Mr. Europa League himself, Unai Emery, so I <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I, had Villarreal going through anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, even though Salzburg have been pretty incredible in, in European competition over the, the you know past couple seasons. Um, yeah, it's it's a harsh one, maybe a lesson for, for Jesse Marsh coming up against some of these these stories. I mean, Villarreal too, another a club that was in the Champions League for quite a while back in the day, I guess you could say. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, um, I I haven't really followed Salzburg season closely, but I have read some some things that suggest that perhaps Marsh has been 
relying a lot on individual performances in the wake of um oh my goodness what's his name the uh the next pushkas leaving <laughs> so uh i cannot think of his oh, name oh shobosh uh Shobosh-Lai. yeah Shobosh-Lai. Yes. yeah goodness i'm struggling today um so so yeah um and of course i mean i mean you left as well and i mean they do have a really talented striker in patsandaka but i, I think we were just yeah. better Wang Hee Chan uh, left as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for Leipzig, so um, yeah, Leipzig raiding uh, their their Austrian uh, neighbors. But the <laughs> um, you mentioned Jesse Marsh and uh, the El Paso Reds uh, account on Twitter asks, you know, would you like to see Jesse Marsh make the jump into any of the top five leagues? after his showings and, and which team would you like him to go? He's been linked with the Mönchengladbach job. Now that Rosa's out, do you think that has any impact on Salzburg season? Like that his head may have been turned. I, I don't, if it has indeed been turned, then yeah, I don't see how it wouldn't impact the team. I, I think that, um, I think, Gladbach, for example, not to go back to them too much, but they did come in for a lot of criticism for uh, allowing, quote-unquote, Makohoza to make this announcement midseason. But, you know, when there's so much noise around it, sometimes you do have to just come out and say, yes, this is what's happening. Uh, I don't know if it's quite to that level yet with Jesse Marsh, but to answer the question more directly, um, I would love to see him in the Bundesliga. I think that is the natural... I mean, the German Bundesliga, of course. He's in mm-hmm. the like Bundesliga right yeah. now. But, um, <laughs> uh, I think it's the natural next step. I think it's an appropriate step in terms of the level of play. Um, I think it gives him a chance to to continue improving his German, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I think his in his football, too, I think would fit uh, in the Bundesliga. Um if he came to Gladbach, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. Obviously, he's American. That would be a great source of pride for me personally, and I'm sure for a lot mm-hmm. of American uh, foals. But um, yeah, um, I think though that might be a tough act to follow, following Makahosa. To be fair, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know who might be a better fit. Maybe I think even I'd be Leipzig. That's a big big jump as well yeah so i don't know who would be an appropriate i mean uh, i don't i don't want to wish shalka on him that's too much yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I it could don't be know. it it could be interesting if kofelt leaves maybe oh. Werder bremen could be okay a jesse marsh hmm. destination that's interesting I think in terms of a test, it, it certainly, you know, it allows for uh, a manager to kind of show what they're able to do without getting uh, uh, too too much expectation heaped on him. Um, I think if you go to any of the traditional like big clubs in Germany, the immediate expectation is like, hey, you're going to remain competitive like champions league football and right. you're going to you know challenge um at the top of the table and i think that's a big ask for any manager like let alone a, a manager who just recently you know relatively made the jump to europe and is you yeah. know 
he's also with a club right now that financially is just so far beyond the other clubs that they compete with in, in Austria that he's kind of playing it with a stacked deck. Um, and the resources that he has are, are kind of unmatched in his own nation. So to go somewhere where you're kind of on a level playing field, or even you're at the wrong end of that, um, it could be quite the, quite the shift for, for Jesse. For sure. Yeah. That's a def- that's definitely a good point. And I mean, I, I, I don't think another year or two in Salzburg would be the worst thing in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It's, I mean, he's definitely, a, his star is definitely rising and it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up. Biggest shock, I think, of the round. Um, Slavia Praha uh, knockout Leicester City. Um who are performing quite well in the Premier League, but you know couldn't couldn't do it on on a uh, on a cold Thursday night in in Prague. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Slavia Prague are a seasoned Europa League side, so um, you know they're no mugs. Uh, and I mean, we've seen this though with the kind of like the the English teams that get into the Europa League. They don't. I mean, I think of, like, Everton a few years ago where I don't think they won, like, a single, like, match. Like, I don't know that they made out of the groups. Like, I, I don't know. There's just these these Leicesters and Evertons and such that when they make it into the Europa League, they don't typically get very far. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Um, maybe just the intensity of the English schedule normally and how it's, like, even more amped up with COVID and all that. So, yeah, I don't know that Leicester will be too, too disappointed with it. They'll be trying to you know, focus on securing champions league for next year. So, uh, another domestic contender that struggled, uh, to, to get through AC Milan, uh, going through on away goals against Chervena Zvezda, uh, AKA red star Belgrade. Um, props for trying to pronounce that. I have no fucking clue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in the San Siro, 1-1, a Frank Kessie penalty in the ninth minute was enough to give Milan uh, the away wins uh, aggregate victory. Um, this game upset me quite a bit because the thing that we were denied was Red Star Belgrade are managed by none other than inter-Milan legend Dejan Stankovic. Mm. And it would have been unbelievable scenes if they had gone through against AC Milan, because this is a, (laughs) this is a man who played for Inter. Um, I mean, he literally, uh, he spent nine years at Inter Milan, made 231 appearances, um, started his career in at red star and is now the manager. And, pushed AC Milan to the absolute brink despite, you know, a massive gulf in, in resources and, and, you know, quality assume, assumedly between, mm-hmm. um, between the teams. And so, um, credit to credit to Dejan for, for pushing his, yeah. uh, his rivals, um, and nearly knocking them out 
little unlucky. They got the red card too. Uh, and, and had to see the rest of it out with only, with only 10 men, maybe couldn't push as much as they would have liked for the last 20 minutes. Oh my God. I didn't even know that he was managing red star. That's incredible. (laughs) Um, I have to say though, if this were any other season, they probably, with the way that AC Milan's form is right now and having been humiliated by Inter, um, uh, I think Red Star with fans in the stadium and in that home leg probably yeah. would have wrapped up that tie uh, then because um, yeah. nobody wants that smoke. I mean, you know, Phil, as a yeah. Liverpool fan, <laughs> Liverpool, the Liverpool, the Liverpool to to team <laughs> that won the Champions League lost in Belgrade to that yeah. team. Like, yeah. <laughs> that like is nobody a, wants that. So horrible. I think they're unlucky to not have been able to play in front of that. That yeah. Crowd. Yeah. No, that's a good point. He probably, yeah, they probably do get the win. Um, but, uh, and they Milan well do go too, through. So there would have been yeah. like very scary people. At <laughs> <laughs> and that's not, a, that's not a tough way to go to Italy for, no. for Serbia. That's not, you know, compared to, to much of the rest of Europe. That's, that's a little jaunt. Um, yeah, for sure. So. Exactly. Um, Dinamo Kiev went through one nil against club Brugge from, uh, from Belgium, the, uh, a tie that, and I want this next tie was probably the least interesting game of mm. all of these because the first leg was so out of hand. Um, but Manchester United didn't need anything against, uh, Real Sociedad as they went through four nil on aggregate. It was a nil nil, um, <laughs> Mikel or or missed a penalty really poorly um, yeah. in this Rich. one, but this more so than the game itself, this tie sparked a debate and really just like uh, really brought in this question from Adam Booker on Twitter. Why are Spanish teams becoming the whipping boys of European competitions? Is it a lack of physicality within the Spanish game? Um, I'm really interested, yo, this tie, despite the fact that the other Spanish teams managed to go through in this competition, so, uh, Real Sociedad's inability to compete in like a material way with Man United launched a lot of this conversation. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of this about Spanish teams kind of in the mud. And I mean, they are in the mud. I mean, they, they've been poor in champions league. Um, play this season but becoming the whipping boys i don't know i think we have to see that over some period of time because to date la liga teams are still the most successful in european competition period uh so i think i think a little bit of recency bias is playing into a lot of these narratives about Mm -hmm. spanish sides and for me it's hard for me personally to draw any sweeping conclusions because this is by far the most ridiculous set of circumstances these footballers have ever had to play in. Um, yeah. And I don't mean to, you know, really, I don't mean to make an excuse for them, but it's just, it's just true. Um, yeah. They're being asked to do things they've never had to do or consider before. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know what the reason is for why Spanish teams have been poor. Perhaps it is the physicality. I mean, I think in this particular circumstance, Manchester United is the better team. Yeah. Uh, then the Real Sociedad. Um, but I mean, just last season, Sevilla won another <laughs> UEFA Cup or yeah. League, you know, and um, Atleti still made it to, I think, the quarterfinal, uh, you know, 
Valencia, they made it to the knockouts and Valencia are a mess. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think it's just this season that they seem yeah. a bit shocking, but they're still historically dominant. Well, um, especially over English clubs. I mean, yeah. I know that's going to piss people off, but it's, it's just true. Yeah. So, and the idea, let's let's get one thing straight. Like the idea that La Liga has fallen off or is shit now or or something like that is just like like just please disabuse yourself of that notion. Like if that's <laughs> not if that Adam's saying that, but just in general, yeah. No, 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 yeah, and and I don't think I don't think that you are saying that, Adam. I think I think the conversation out there, and especially the English media, loves to hype up. Like any sort of advantage that the Premier League may have over over any continental league. Um and I think it's really chap like English Englishmen's asses that La Liga's been considered the the best league in Europe for quite some time now. Um I think it you know, it's basically been a decade that they've been materially like in terms of trophies the best you know the most successful clubs in europe have come from spain um in european competition anyways so the idea that like oh atleti losing one nil to chelsea is all of a sudden like the decline of la liga is <laughs> like it there's still a second leg to be played there's you know all these things and and i think in particular, this tie between United and Real Sociedad, these are two like this is a, there's a massive difference between resources for those Huge. clubs. Like this would be like me making too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, in terms of in terms of the the money invested, I think this would be similar to us making like a sweeping statement about German football if. Manchester United defeated, um, like, I'm trying to think of a team like sneaking in to Europe, like Freiburg. Like mm. that's, that's kind of like a similar level in terms of like the investment. Um, I'm not saying that Real Sociedad are a small club by no means are they a small club, but compared to United and the, the billions that have been spent, like, over the yeah. last few years, that's Sociedad's not touching that, not even coming close. So right. um, I think we just have to understand that like United are in a good moment right now. And there's no, you know, there's no taking that away from them. They did a pro- very professional job, kept Sociedad at arm's length, like completely. They weren't really in the tie, but that's kind of the expectation. Like United at the level that they're at now should be winning this competition like that should be the level that they should be expecting so the idea that we're making like sweeping generalizations about spanish football off of one mat like one you know two matches Mm -hmm. between two clubs that are vastly different um i don't know i don't i'm not really into it I mean, I think if anyone's a whipping boy of Europe, it's Barcelona themselves. Yeah, alone. it's really just Barca <laughs> right now. <laughs> they they go out of their way to embarrass themselves year on yeah. year recently. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it, it. I think it is an interesting narrative that's kind of popped up. Um, so uh, we'll certainly see, you know, and we'll see how how Villarreal and and Granada and <laughs> these teams that are hanging around in Europe see how they how they perform as they go forward. But um, 
but yeah, United threw quite easily. Roma also strolled against Braga. Um, I think ex- expected to, you know, deal with that pretty simply. Leverkusen, though, they had what was seen as an easy tie and uh, totally screwed it up and went out 6-3 on aggregate to young boys of Switzerland. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, shout out Jordan Sabaccio. I think everyone on football Twitter learned that he's eligible for the United States. Yeah. Um, anyone who says they knew that beforehand is fucking lying. <laughs> <laughs> um but now it's fucking hilarious though because i've seen people say like well is he actually our best like number nine option it's like what oh my god nobody knew he was before this except for like the diehards obviously yeah but uh yeah young boys are they had a really really good campaign so far and their their coach sewani is Mm -hmm. uh strongly linked with the glabak job and i can see why i mean they play some really nice stuff yeah um and I think we're, I don't know, I, I'd be lying to you if I told you I knew where they were in the Swiss table, but they certainly are one of the the most successful clubs in Switzerland, um, and they've been walking their league. Yeah, they are they are well clear of Basel in uh, the Swiss Super League. They've got 50 yeah. points and Basel with 32. So, wow. Yeah. Um, and that that's an achievement given, I mean, Basel's traditionally, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. most solid came through Basel so yeah Brielle and Bolo as well indeed yep uh Nanny too yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) the the better Egyptian oh right 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 (laughs) yeah um all right we gotta have words that now uh no (laughs) um Dinamo Zagreb knocked out Krasnodar uh and and PSV uh got got Pat or no, Olympiacos knocked out PSV uh, five four on aggregate. Uh, PSV pushed them to the absolute limit. Yeah. Um, in that two one second leg, Zahavi's been absolutely lights out for for PSV recently, um, but not enough to overcome their their Greek opposition. Um, the round of sixteen is now set. Um, and, and, uh, Mikey D on Twitter asks, who are the Europa league favorites after the latest draw? The draw stands United versus AC Milan, Dinamo Kiev, uh, against Villarreal, Ajax drew young boys, uh, Slavia Prague and Rangers, Dinamo Zagreb and Tottenham, Olympiacos, Arsenal, Granada versus Molda and Roma drew Shakhtar Donetsk. So, Mika, what do you what are you thinking about these draws and who do you think are the favorites? Yeah, I think just based on you know the previous round and also league form, I think Manchester United have a good shot actually at winning the Europa League or at least getting to the final. Um AC Milan will be a different test, but I think one that they can ultimately pass. I think Milan have just been gut punched really by yeah. the derby result and kind of slipping uh in the in the Serie A table and then of course you know squeaking in to the to the, <laughs> the next round in Europa League so I think United can probably make light work of them but we'll see maybe I'll look like a clown uh, a week or two from now um <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Uh, I like uh, I like VRL too. I will never count out and when I am reside in Europa League. I mean, he got a garbage ass Arsenal to the finals so, <laughs> and has won three with Sevilla. So yeah, um, yeah, I rate VRL too, especially against uh, Dinamo Kiev. I think those are the two that kind of jump off the page to me. What about you, Phil? Um, give me a Stevie G versus United Europa League Ooh. final. That no. <laughs> has a lot of like geopolitical implications. No, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think, uh, you know, looking across the, I think the English sides just given, you know, given their, their resources are, are often, you know, favored. Um, I do find it interesting that Olympiacos, uh, will have played Tottenham and Arsenal in the same European campaign. Um, because they were they were in Tottenham's uh, Champions League group um, mm. w- along with Bayern, so uh, yeah, a sure. little bit of a weird uh, stat there. And um, but I I think yeah, in terms of in terms of the winners, I think uh, United are are certainly up there. But I but I do think if Milan get it together and figure things out. It, over these next these next uh, few days before these ties actually take place, I think if they knock out United, they they almost become the de facto favorites. Um, really? Like if now I think it's a big ask mm-hmm. to to take down because United across two legs at the moment is is not not an easy prospect. I don't think for for anyone. But if they if they get over that then it kind of provides like a natural bump to their form. So okay. it could kind of give them a, a little bit of a boost like back to, but it's a huge ask, especially given, like you said, yeah. the gut punch of <laughs> that Darby loss, which is just like hanging over this Milan team right now. For sure. For sure. I mean, for the good of the game, I would love to see like, I don't know. Ajax Rangers final like how would yeah. that be <laughs> yeah just like <laughs> something weird but yeah amazing I kind of I kind of like the idea too of of Roma potentially like making a deeper push um yeah. Yeah. I think I think they were a little unlucky to come up against <laughs> that Liverpool team in the in the Champions League you know semifinals like after that crazy result against Barca, the remontada and everything. It's like they, you know, it'd be nice to see them get some, some European success. Um, but no, no Arsenal predictions uh, for, for de- going deep in this competition. I'm so traumatized. <laughs> we, I mean, obviously Olympiagos dumped us out last season. And uh, I think, I mean, we just played our home game, quote unquote, in Piraeus, which is bizarre. <laughs> and now we fucking draw Olympiacos. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm hoping for revenge, but I'm trying not to let Arsenal get to me. <laughs> <laughs> Both games will be played in Piraeus. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, so that is that is the Europa League and looking ahead, um, the games the next round of games is uh, March 11th. So we do have a little bit of a respite before, (laughs) before another slate of midweek European games takes, takes place in a couple of weeks. Good. Honestly, 
Yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> I was watching uh, Arsenal Benfica on my phone in the parking lot of a McDonald's because it was in the middle of the work day, and I was like, I'm going to go to lunch now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like, watched it on my phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Been there. Been there for sure. Um, <laughs> so looking ahead to this weekend, um, we've got all the leagues kicking back off um, at having, you know, a lot of their teams played midweek uh, either in Europe or, you know, some league action actually did take place. Um, so what are some of the games that you're looking forward to watching this weekend? Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the Italian clubs that are still left in Europa league, I think AS Roma AC Milan is a huge fixture. Yeah. Um, AC Milan, obviously, they need to show something after being embarrassed by their inner city rivals and being knocked off, you know, their perch at top city. Uh, um, but AS Roma are, are really a good team as well and are challenging to, to stay in those Champions League spaces. So a huge match for both of these sides. Um, both will really want to win. I don't think either of them are, are going to settle for just the point. So I yeah. think that's another good one in Serie A. Um, you know, over the English Channel, I think Chelsea-Manchester United is a huge match. I think with all due respect to Chelsea's previous opponents, I think this is really the first big test in the Premier League for Thomas Tuchel. Um, I think he's made his Chelsea side hard to beat, um, you know, with this kind of three at the back and then like the wing back formation. But, you know, with United's pace and attack, they may be able to get beyond, you know, Chelsea's marauding and, well, aging <laughs> wing back. So <laughs> um, I think that'll be a really, really good game. Uh, same, same as, you know, with Roma and Milan, both sides are really going to want to win. Um and then I've for my th- kind of a third one that's kind of left field outside of the top five leagues, um, PSV and Ajax, uh, first and second in the Eredivisie, they face off on Sunday at the Philips Stadion. Um, Ajax haven't lost in all competitions since December 9th. Holy in, shit. Yeah, that was in the Champions League. Tatalanta only won nil, I believe. So you know, hardly an embarrassing result. And they've just been, you know, destroying every competition they're in. Um, and uh, they've got, I think, a six-point lead over PSV right now in the league. So, you know, the uh, wow. Ajax side will want to try to gain some ground, um, and they're hosting Ajax in uh, De Topper. So I think that'll be an interesting one. And it's on ESPN+. Plus. So Yeah, that's a, easy <laughs> to watch. And uh, I have enjoyed, like, in those small gaps between – you know, if I've got kind of my viewing schedule all set out, there's always those yeah. like little gaps. And at times I'll have a, a little like where it's, Hey, this ear divisi games going on, like, and I'll just pop in and, and it's always, I, I think, you know, one of those leagues that is underrated in terms of quality. And I mean, for a reminder to the viewers out there, Mario Goetze is currently plying his trade. Uh, yeah. For, for if you like goals, yeah, you don't really care too much about defending. (laughs) (laughs) And if you like the Mexico national team, because it's become a a really nice, uh, Mm -hmm. landing spot, I guess, for a lot of Mexican talent. Yeah. Um, yeah, as far as what I'm, what I'm looking for forward to this weekend, uh, I am looking at that Sheffield United Liverpool game and just thinking pain, um, uh, on Sunday, oh my God. I just <laughs> Liverpool games have become like, I, I don't know. I just don't 
Like I love Liverpool. I always will. And I will stick with them through, through the thick and thin. Um, but the news that Jordan Henderson is going to miss at least, at least six weeks uh, due to injury. And he just had a successful surgery um, oh, on wow. his groin injury is um, not great. Yeah. So that is, that's the heartbeat of that Liverpool side. Oh my God. So, so yeah, um, we're just, yeah, we're just going through it right now. So I'm looking forward to watching other games. <laughs> Surely um, you'll beat Sheffield. Surely. Yeah. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> if Rian saying... Brewster scores, will you don't. End oh it my all, God. Oh my God. No, I'll, yeah, I, I won't. I'll, I'll <laughs> just tweet. Ha- so happy for him through the tears. <laughs> um, no, but games I'm looking forward to. Uh, so tomorrow, which is to say this is, we're recording this Friday night. So Saturday, um, actually in a few hours, uh, Dinamo Dresden kicking off the weekend against Ingolstadt. Hey. And, and the reason I bring this game up is not just because of Dinamo, but it's because this is a clash at the top of the Dritten Liga, the third league in Germany. Um, the the teams currently uh, separated by four points, Dinamo top by four, but Ingolstadt have a game in hand. So this is like a very tight race. And if Ingolstadt win, they go within a point of Dresden having played a game less. So this is a big wow. game um, in terms of the title race in, in the Dritten Liga. Now the top two teams get promoted, so it's not like win or die. Um, but Hansa Rostock is like creeping up in third. So, uh, so it's a big game for, for Dinamo, um, to kind of cement their place as, as contenders, uh, or as, you know, champion, um, champions elect, as I think a lot of people assumed, uh, with them having just come down from, the uh Zweite Bundesliga I think they assumed that they would go straight back up but um not always that straightforward and Ingolstadt were in the Bundesliga like four years ago I was ago. just gonna say like <laughs> like they were yeah 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 so huge club watch this game and what time is it on so this game okay this game is an early kickoff I will say for you it's a 6 a.m mountain time 8 a.m eastern 8 a.m eastern this one you won't be able to watch it unless you have your, your ways. I'll just oh, say oh, oh, you, your, your <laughs> you got to have, yeah, YouTube. no, this one is not on YouTube. I will shout out the Dritten Liga is on YouTube. They have a game, one game a week. Um, that's on YouTube for free, a hundred percent legit through the German football, like the, the Davba, like YouTube channel, like English language, nice. YouTube channel. It's with commentary. It's the whole nine. And this week they are actually, it's actually a cool, um, a cool game that they're broadcasting. It is, uh, 1860 München, uh, verse, uh, who are they playing? Um, wait, where is it? Oh, they played it today, so never mind. But in the future, if you want to watch the game of the week, it was 1860 Munich 3-1 against uh, Unterhaching. Um, but oh, okay. anyways, um, yeah, it, it's really, it. honestly, it's 
for something that's completely free on YouTube, it's worth the, it's worth the viewing. Um, and, uh, I think you'll be surprised. I think Mika, the one time you watched it, like Dinamo decided to just score some bangers or, uh, oh, it, was, it was fully lit. It was fully <laughs> lit. <and popping>. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know Pat, uh, my, you know, Pat, uh, the, the Liverpool fan, he, uh, he watched one week and he, legit texted me i think i talked about it on the show but he legit texted me like hey did arson wenger out, come out of retirement to manage dinamo because they were just <laughs> scoring like like flowing passing goal you know goals where they were just you know passing it into the back of the net but anyways that's my plug for the dritten liga um and yeah big big title clash um so i like that um in la liga we've got sevilla versus barca which Barca need to climb out of the mud. Sevilla have been, you know, hanging up there in the Champions League places and can actually overtake Barca with a game in hand, like into third place it, with a win. So that is um, a, a massive opportunity for for the Andalusian club. And uh, yeah, um, Sevilla, you know, I think there were a lot of questions after that final and and a little bit of a stop start like beginning of the season yeah but they've been in they've been in really good form um and yeah they actually beat barca 2-0 not that long ago so they've um maybe got a mental edge there and barca coming off a, a bad loss to psg and um, just generally not, not looking themselves really recently. Um, although they did beat LJ three nil the other day, but the last one I have is I believe on Sunday as well. Yep. Sunday, um, in Liga Un, 3 PM Eastern, 1 PM mountain. Um, uh, the shock day Olympique, uh, which yes. is, Olympique Marseille versus Olympique Lyonnais. And um, the two teams, despite the clash of the Olympics, as it's called, like these two teams being linked uh, by really their pedigree in French football, yeah. the they could not be further apart at the moment in terms of the feeling around the club. Lyon, you know, towards the top of the table, conversation in the title race. Marseille absolute shambles and just trying, <laughs> just trying to do anything to survive at the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just kind of shocking to see these two teams so far apart at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But maybe it's a, a new dawn for Marseille. I think this will be the first match, if I'm not mistaken, where Jorge Sampaoli will take over. Yeah. Um. There's been some changes. Uh. At boardroom level too. Ejo is has been removed by Pablo Sarabia. Sarabia. That's not his name. That's the PSG player's name. Yeah. Pablo Longoria. <laughs> excuse me. Um. Uh. So yeah, Marseille. There's been some changes. Maybe hopefully yeah. for the better. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and Leon will. You know, this every game is is a is a massive game for Leon as they look mm -hmm. to cling to that one point lead over PSG. Um, right. it, it, they're currently second uh, three points behind Lille as 
League One actually, it, it, it's interesting that we didn't record because League One actually had a massive weekend in that PSG lost um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> again. Um, so yeah, the title race remaining interesting, and uh, so yeah, that's a, a a great game to watch. Although uh, there will be interesting matchups with the League One title race like that. Um, you should basically watch any League One game you can that involves either Lille, Lyon, or PSG. <laughs> Well, Mika, we've got some more of our mailbag questions, uh, but you want to take a quick break and then we'll we'll close this thing out. we're back uh we had a bunch of questions today as we talked about throughout but um we we wanted to make sure we got to everybody's uh who sent them in so um we've got a little mailbag segment here at the end um mika the the first comes from from jake kanecki is Gonzalo Geddish a talented player who's gotten in his own way or am i dumb for holding on to the hope of him getting his shit together Gracia doesn't seem very fond of him. First of all, no, you're not dumb at all if you're holding on hope. I think we all want our players to work out, Jake, so don't be too harsh on yourself. Um, <laughs> Gonzalo Gage is a talented player. Uh, I just, it's a weird one. I, I did look a little bit into the advanced stats just so I could give you a, a better, a good answer. And, it's it's really fascinating when you look into the to the the underlying numbers. I mean, his goal involvements have been steadily declining since he made the move to Valencia from PSG. Um, but he, he was never really hugely prolific anyway. Um, so I don't know how how much you can draw from that. Um, he draws a lot of fouls, and consequently has struggled with injury, as he, I'm sure you know. I mean, he's missed a lot of time, including. Um, parts of last season slash this season with ankle injury. So um, I think that contributes to uh, the perceived poor form of Gedge. Um, you know, when you when you spend so much time injured, it's hard to, you know, get into the a rhythm, really. Um, defensively, his numbers were surprisingly pretty good as far as tackles and pressures per 90. Um, but obviously, I don't think that's why Valencia bought him. And so for me, I, I guess I could see why Marcelino and, and now Javi Gracia are not perhaps too keen because they want more out of him as far as, um, you know, from an attacking output. And he does carry the ball well and is quite progressive as the numbers show. But his final ball is severely lacking. So, again, not surprised that the, you know, two managers now are, are you know, having doubts about him after he was he was once linked with, Manchester United and Jose Mourinho wanted him. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just unfortunate what's happened with Gedge. I think uh, he's come from this really, like, 
golden generation as far as Portuguese players. I mean, the Portugal national team is absolutely stacked right now. Um, ironically, as Cristiano Ronaldo is now winding down, having <laughs> carried that team yeah. in his prime. Um, you know, and he scored the goal that won Portugal their their uh, you know Nations League final against Holland. So, I mean, he's clearly a quality player, but um, I I almost wonder if a change of scenery might be in the cards for him uh, away from Valencia because I mean Valencia institutionally are a mess. You know, we talk about it you know quite a lot, and yeah. So I mean, maybe some players are able to cope with that more than others, but I, I do think there's a, there's a player in there that just needs needs some rhythm and maybe a a new place to play but i don't know yeah i mean i think you can see he's a super talented player it, mm-hmm. you see those flashes of brilliance i mean like some of some of the passes he makes some of the some of the touches he takes he's just he's an unbelievably tech, technically gifted player um but i don't know that many they have many like names in that side that are just not thriving. Like, um, so I think, I think Gedge is in a one, you know, one of a couple unfortunate casualties. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, we'll see Valencia are, are odd, you know, they'll win a, they'll win a cup and then like try not to get relegated. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they certainly put their fans through it. All right, so let's see what our next question is here. We have one from Grant Sunberg. He says, what are your thoughts on Paramount Plus expanding soccer coverage? Is this the end of BN Sports in America? This is a really interesting question, and my thoughts are, like, mixed, um, I guess. But overall, my impression is very good because here's, here's what I want selfishly out of whatever the whatever the broadcasting rights end up being and the arrangements end up being i want to pay for the least amount of streaming services possible to see the most amount of soccer so in this case the fact that a service i currently pay for (laughs) cbs all access aka paramount plus as it will be known um, I pay for it because of Champions League and Europa League. So now that I'll be further subsidized, I guess, or further like in, you know, my, the, the amount I'm getting is enhanced by getting not just the, you know, a lot of CONCACAF uh, matches with the national teams, U.S. women's national team as well included in that deal, which is massive, a massive get. Um, for for Paramount and and CBS, uh, but they're adding the Argentine Premier and the Brazilian uh, Campeonato as well. So I'm really excited about the prospect of those two leagues um, and getting to watch more South American football. I think between ESPN Plus and CBS, if they if those two services picked up all of the soccer honestly if espn if espn globbed every single media right that they had and i just had to pay 5.99 a month or whatever it is for espn plus and i could watch everything then i would prefer that and normally i'm not a monopoly guy 
I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, the free market and everything, whatever. Um, but in this case, if I can log into one place and get it, um, that's really good. If I can log into two places and get most of what I watch, then that's an improvement on what we currently have, which is a whole mess of different rights uh, deals and all these things that lead to the soccer fan being like, is this game on Peacock? Is it on NBCSN? Is it on flagship NBC? Or, you know, throughout all of these different streaming services, or is it on Fubo? Is it on Fanatas? Is it like there's all these different um, media rights? And, And so to your second point, I do think BN is probably in trouble. Um because these other companies are getting more aggressive about acquiring the rights to like non-traditional leagues. Um, you know, the, the premier league and the Bundesliga, I think were hot properties in the, in the U S kind of to start. But now that they're coming for these other leagues, La Liga, Liga Un, Serie A are, are more, you know, there's a lot more attention paid. And in particular, La Liga, I think if BN loses La Liga, they won't really have, much of anything to show absolutely 100 percent agree i think it might not be the end of being sports in america yet but hopefully i pray it's the beginning of the end because <laughs> as far as i'm concerned i i hate that you have to pay well first of all being doesn't even have like a reliable streaming service where if i wanted to just get la liga Ligue 1 and, yeah you know some of those uh, international like comical stuff I have to get it through Fanatis as if I want something like reliable. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I fully agree. If they lose La Liga, it's, that's it for them. And I really hope La Liga and Ligon go to someone who who gives who provides a better product, a la ESPN Plus or CBS, because I I really do enjoy La Liga and I do watch Ligon from time to time. So, if I can not watch anything yeah. with that stupid BN logo in the corner, I'll be so happy. <laughs> Because otherwise, if you're not using Fanatis, you have to actually get cable. And BN's never standard. It's always uh, a part of a package that's really expensive. So, um, yeah, I hope it's the end or the beginning of the end, at least. <laughs> I uh, I also think I, I have to give some credit to CBS because I was really skeptical about them taking over the UEFA rights, um, especially you know, they took them over mid season from uh, Turner, which Turner was a complete mess, like probably one of the worst executed uh, media rights deals maybe ever. Um, But I really thought CBS was not going to be it. And they've done actually a fantastic job of of making that property, which is already super valuable and has a ton of eyes on it, just like by default. They've made it even more watchable and they've done things to like enhance it. So um, credit to CBS for actually like doing something and giving me faith in them taking on more properties because I feel like they'll actually do something with them. Yeah, I mean, if if CBS got La Liga, I would be over the moon, honestly. Yeah, um, but that remains to be seen. I guess. Put Jamie Carragher on a on a La Liga uh, review show. Um. <laughs> Did you see? I don't know who. I don't think it was Kara, but someone was like talking about Barca, and they called um, 
they called their academy La Masala. <laughs> <laughs> Someone died. got too hungry. I fucking died. Took a masala. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was hungry. La masala. <laughs> oh my god. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Um <laughs> Well, uh, one of the questions that came through was from uh, Patrick Ariola, and he said, I'm city till I die, but all this talk about winning the quadruple is a bit much. He's talking about Manchester City, obviously. Will the quadruple actually come to pass, or is the Premier League trophy just a more realistic goal? But not only is the Premier League trophy a more realistic goal, it's almost a certainty at well, this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do, I will say I think it is fascinating that this quadruple thing gets brought up so much with City. I think that shows you like how much City has like broken English football in terms of yeah. expectations because even the you know best Liverpool side I never heard that question asked. Like it's ridiculous. Like no. I've never heard is Liverpool going to win the quadruple? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, Whereas we with also City, like this is a reasonable <laughs> question to ask, which I also think it's madness, but yeah. they might actually do. We so. knew we knew that, you know, at Liverpool fans knew that Klopp was did not give a shit in the domestic cups like whatsoever. Yeah, I um, played the kids like regularly <laughs> it was it was pure meme football there were jokes going in the arsenal 5-5 in the league cup um mm. that there were so many jokes about uh him they they chopped up the goals from that game with moments of him getting mad like in his past uh managerial career and then so like a goal would be scored and he'd like throw his water bottle or whatever <laughs> and like get in the ref's face and stuff like act like no you're supposed to go out like this is not what and city on the other hand are just like they i mean you may as well put their name on the league cup each year because they're gonna win it like that's just yeah. the way it is right now yeah i mean and it is incredible to win all those trophies as they have done in England. It's insane. I just it's fascinating to me that this quadruple thing is even a part of our yeah. footballing vocabulary because of Manchester City. So I guess that in and of itself is an achievement, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think um I think them City fans getting bullish about the quadruple is always really fascinating to me given the fact that their record in in the champions league doesn't suggest like that they will do it. Um, right, cause right. even at the height of their powers, centurions, like, you know, multiple titles, um, tons of domestic success. They haven't translated it into European success. And arguably last season was, the best chance they had out of any to where it was, Hey, you know, as sanitized as it can be, you don't have to account for like crazy away trips, all this stuff. It's like mm. your squad versus the others. And they lost to a far inferior Leon team. Like right. that wasn't the Leon team that is, you know, second in the, in league one right now that it was a Leon team that was like seventh in league in league. Yeah, not like not even securing next year's champions league. Right? Yeah. Right. So I just, I just always think that there's an element of that. The one thing with this city team is obviously they have like cracked the code 
on their players right now. And they are getting the absolute like max out of, out of some of some of these guys. And they've overcome some, some pretty lengthy injuries as well to good attackers. Um, however, the beginning of the season was pretty poor. Like city didn't really start that well. So the thing that I would caution city fans, I think they'll still win the premier league and I think they'll win it, you know, pretty comfortably. I think they've gotten over most of the hurdles that they need to. The caution would be that they, a spell like that could easily happen again, given the circumstances that these players are, are playing in at the moment. So the idea that they'll just be a machine for the rest of the season is, I think misguided. Cause I don't think yeah. any team is capable of doing that this year. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like, uh, like I mentioned earlier in the show, these players are being asked to play in a completely yeah. <laughs> unheard of environment and set of circumstances. So yeah, that is fair. Um, good question though. Patrick. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Uh, so last one I think of our mailbag is from Vicente del Bosque's mustache. <laughs> and he the mustache asks, should the clubs in continental Europe have a second cup competition, six to ten games to generate more revenue to create economic parity with the English Premier League? This this is an interesting one because I think I think a lot of the conversation's been around like the you know, the, the super league and, and all of this, uh, sort of breakaway, um, stuff, but that's always included the teams in the premier league and not really not been separate from them. Um, I, when I think about, when I think about this, these, this sort of competition, I do, I do wonder what sort of interest it would generate from like, uh, from a TV perspective, because, the champions league already kind of like captures this audience. So I'd be interested if there could, if there is a format that would like entice, you know, the amount of viewers that you get for a champions league game. Um, if, because I think a lot of viewership for these sorts of competitions is tied to the, the importance of it, like, you know, the, the perceived like grandeur of the occasion is what draws so many eyes to, to these sorts of games. So I think creating that sort of, uh, atmosphere and environment around those games could be quite difficult if it's seen as like a tin pot or, you know, whatever it's seen as like a, like a Mickey mouse cup type thing. Yeah, that's fair. I think you're absolutely prestige certainly plays into it. And I, the way I read this question, you know, you stating continental Europe, I mean, I assume, yeah, you do mean excluding the English clubs. And I mean, for, you know, I think there's no getting away from the fact that these English clubs are what draws these gigantic broadcast deals. Um, you know, it's, whether that's fair or not, or right or not, or like warranted, merited based on footballing, per, you know, performances and ambition, I don't know, but it is the fact that the Premier League is huge <laughs> globally. Yeah. I mean, the 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 North American market, 
um, the South American market with a lot of South Americans moving to the Premier League now, and it's going to be even more prevalent um, now that Brexit has come through and South American talents are going to be able to move easier than some of these academy products from the continent. Asia is a huge market. So, yeah, I think if you exclude the English clubs from a competition, yeah, the prestige will be lost, rightly or wrongly. And then, really, I don't know that it would generate more revenue anyway. I don't know how you create economic parity with the Premier League without them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and then, just practically speaking, more games on the calendar these poor players. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much the clubs themselves would actually, yeah. you know, be interested in it unless someone wants to pay money to, to broadcast that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that that audience, it would be kind of saturated, I suppose, if we had yeah. another competition and, and actually, you know, the Europa conference league is coming. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to I... see more continental football is coming. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm don't not, ask me how that format is because I have no clue. I don't I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you that I'm not gonna watch the conference league when it drops. I'm gonna watch it, but yeah. I, I'm I not gonna like it, it, but I'm yeah. gonna watch it. Right. Like L- locomotive locomotive Tashkent versus uh I don't know, like <laughs> <laughs> Girondon, uh Luxembourg. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just making up clubs <laughs> at this point, but um yeah, I I I do think right now the the tough thing for the or I think the challenge for continental Europe is really it kind of ties back into Grant's question about media rights, which is if these club or if these uh leagues in continental Europe can figure out a way to tap into foreign markets in the way that the premier league has, um, if they can find a way to become like at, as marketable as some of their top clubs are, um, and get people's eyeballs on, you know, cause I think one of the, one of the coups of the premier league is the fact that, you know, you could, get on Twitter and look up any major city and find a fan club of any team that's been in the premier league in the last 10 years. Like, well, yeah, but, but I think the thing of the, uh, the obstacle, the built in obstacle for those other leagues and the built in like marketing tool for the premier league is that the premier league is in English. Yeah. So it's so hard for, a La Liga or someone yeah. else in comparison to market themselves in the same way. Cause the English speaking world is huge. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the unfortunate reality, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. You're right though. It's, but, you can find fellow fans pretty much anywhere in the country. Yeah. And that, that's so crazy. Like when you think about the stature in England of some of the teams, like the idea that, you know, um, like, <laughs> the fact that that Jay Konecki who listens to the show is a Brighton fan like yeah. I'm sure Brighton fans couldn't have dreamed of that uh you know 15 right. years ago and now that's just the reality of of um what the Premier League can bring you absolutely yeah I mean there's like dedicated like Swansea supporters like yeah they're not even an English club they're a Welsh club yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah, I mean, you know of course they play in the English league but 
yeah, it's it's fascinating the growth. So Mika, as we as we get to the to the end here, we have our sounds of the season Spotify playlist growing each each episode uh, by four new songs, um, two from you, two from me. Um, you guys can can listen along to everything on there. Uh, just search sounds of the season on Spotify or hardcore football and you can find the, both the podcast and uh, and the playlist but mika what have you got for us this week in uh terms of your additions all right my first one is a song called don't don't hold back by the sleeping um it's just a fun like high energy jam i think i mean if anyone wants to go the distance in the europa league or the champions league they can't hold back. <laughs> and so i think you saw that i think psg really set the tone uh, with with Mbappe's performance against Barca, and then of course Haaland with uh, Dortmund, and um, yeah, neither of them were necessarily holding back against no. their opponents. So <laughs> that's my first one. But on the flip side, I think there's probably a lot of pretenders still left in these knockout stages. So my second song is Paper Tigers by Thrice. I think there are some Paper Tigers lingering, uh, and they'll be ruthlessly exposed. I'm sure. Those are my two. <laughs> what about you, Phil? I uh I made a tweet this morning about listening to deathcore at work. Um so I Great included tweet. two deathcore songs um <laughs> as as an homage. Um and uh so yeah, the the first is by a band called Aversion's Crown, uh a band from Australia and it's their song Controller. Um we saw in a lot of these European ties, like one team kind of grab, uh, you know, the initiative and control. Um, so we'll see if that control remains in the second leg of these champions league ties. Cause obviously still a lot to play for there. Um, but particularly, you know, city kind of in control against Gladbach and, and all of that. Um, and then, the second is a by a band called The Breathing Process, uh, called The Harvesting, and I'm thinking in this of the amount of teams that went out of Europe when you have a round of 32, 16 teams crashing out of Europe all at once on a Thursday night. It's the harvesting, the reaping, <laughs> if you also will. Like. Uh... <laughs> low-key like farmers league type yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible yeah real agricultural feel to this so yeah uh molda knocking out hoffenheim and and simultaneously you know all of the tractors in hoffenheim activated uh <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I've got. I I would say, uh, the least accessible of all the music I've put on the playlist, but it's, it's just, it's jams, it's vibes. Like for when you're just like, when you're just like, you know what? I want to listen to a song where a guy like calls humanity a plague, uh, or, you know, whatever that's, (laughs) that's the vibe of, uh, (laughs) I just added the harvesting to the playlist and that the album art is like fucking terrifying. So it is. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's so fire though. Like, it's just one of those that's like, uh, you can imagine being in like a crowded basement in like 2006, um, (laughs) just jamming out, just jamming out to this, like absolutely like, 
<laughs> just absolutely like with no with no respect of any for anyone's property or your own health and welfare um and uh just absolutely <laughs> jamming out um and then the band getting to you know sleep upstairs because they're they haven't had a place to like shower or whatever for the last like right. four days on tour <laughs> <laughs> truly you had to uh, be there <laughs> yeah Anyway, that's me also like being very nostalgic for, you know, times when you couldn't catch like a deadly respiratory virus. Right. right. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed the podcast. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, you can follow us on Twitter at HXC football and uh, you can subscribe, follow our podcast podcast on any of the major platforms. We hope you will hope you've enjoyed and uh, hopefully we'll See you in the next one. Um, yeah, enjoy the weekend and yeah, see you next time.